Welcome to Merchant in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 20th of August 2018 and this is episode 77. On today's programme, I talk to historian David Blanchard about his latest book and battlefield guide on the Third Battle of the Aisne that took place in May 1918. This is published by Pen and Sword. I spoke to David over the interweb from his home in West Yorkshire. David, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. We're going to talk about your latest book today on the Third Battle of the Aisne, which took place in May 1918. Could we start the interview by talking about your background and how you became interested in the cult of the Great War? Um, I've been interested since um, 1989 when, bizarrely, I travelled from Portugal when I was teaching to the Western Front. I should have gone to the Algarve, but for whatever reason, I came across an edition of, I think, the Stan Tune about 1989, and from then I've been completely fascinated by the First World War. And it was only really by looking at my family's interest in the First Wife family's part in the First World War, shall I say, that I had a kind of focus for the research I, I, I took on the AIM battle. My great-uncle, who I knew was a boy, I knew he was in the First World War, there were photographs in the house, but apart from that, I knew nothing about his service. It was obvious he was either in a, in the DLI or in the uh, Northumberland Fusiliers from the cap badges. But other than that, I didn't know where he was based or what he actually did. It was only when I decided to look more into the family tree about the mid-90s that I discovered from my mother's cousin that she actually had his um, active service testament. And in that testament, he had written on the front cover, in the front cover, uh, Lance Corporal Tom Williams, first uh, fifth Northumberland Fusiliers taken prisoner on the 27th of May 1918 at Pont de At that point, I was teaching history in a boys' grammar school in Canterbury. So I regularly went to the um, First World War battlefields, to the Ypres Salient and the Somme. Uh, but other than that, I didn't really venture any further south. So I hadn't come across Pont de So it was only by looking at various official histories from 1918 that I discovered that Pont was on the Aisne and that was really the starting point when I realised that other than the official history and also a memoir, a fantastic memoir by a First World War historian, Sidney Rogerson, um, it's called The Last of the Ebb. So other than the official history and that memoir, there was little else to go on. As a result of that, I was living in, in Kent at the time, near Canterbury, so I decided to embark upon further research. Initially, an MA on the battle, and that kind of panned out into an 80,000-word M-fill, which I completed in 2005. Before we start looking at your book, can you give us some background on the battlefield? Where exactly is the AIM? Okay, the AIM is roughly uh, 66 miles northeast from Paris. The French refer to it as the mysterious triangle, this area that's been fought over since um, ancient times, since Caesar arrived. It's roughly to the north we have the citadel town of Lot. To the east is uh, Reims or Reims, and to the west is Soissons. Cutting across, almost bisecting the uh, mysterious triangle, is the ancient road of the Chemin de Dame. 
which was planned in the 16th century, I think, to allow, sorry, the 17th century, to allow the daughters of Louis XVI to visit their governess who was living at a chateau in the Aisne area. Can you explain the wider events that led up to the battle in May 1918? Yes, this this is the third offensive of um, Ludendorff. There had been two relatively unsuccessful attempts to break the Allied line in uh, March on the Somme and then April at Flanders. And by May, the German general was looking for another area to attack. And he chose the thinly held front between Soissons and Reims, uh, where for a few times in the war, in fact, probably the only time that there was a British army corps, the Ninth Corps, under the direct command of the French. This area was a diversionary offensive. It wasn't intended to, to attack across the Chemin Ridge to try and take Paris initially. It was mainly to draw French reserves away from the British. Then there was was to be a, an attack by the German army on the thinly held British sector to the north, which by this stage had obviously been through the Somme and been through uh, the lease attacks. Haig himself had said, you know, this was back to the wall. Every man must fight to the last. So the British army by uh, the spring of 1918 was in a pretty sorry state. So once the these French reserves had been drawn away, the kind of shield that protected the British army, then there was to be an attack directly against the British, um, pushing them back to the Channel port, and a kind of a 1918 Dunkirk scenario, if you like, would occur. So it was initially an attack aimed at the French, but it was a diversionary offensive really aimed directly at the British, as it were. And it just so happened that there were a number of British divisions who happened to be resting and recuperating in this uh, kind of tranquil backwater. It was tranquil. It was placid. There hadn't really been any fighting there since October of the previous uh, previous year in 1917. So to all intents and purposes, this was known as the kind of sanitarium sanatorium of the Western Front. What British units were actually uh, stationed there on the front and how did they find it once they had um, got there? The units that were stationed on the uh, Shamandadam Front in May 1918, well, in fact, they arrived in at the end of April, were divisions from the British Ninth Corps. And the British Ninth Corps moved down to this tranquil area. The divisions involved were the 8th Division, the 50th Division, the 21st Division, uh, the 25th Division, which came a little bit later and was stationed to the south of the Aisne River. And finally, um, probably mid to late May, the 19th Butterfly Division arrived in that area. All of them had been through the offensives of uh, March and, and April. So this was seen as a kind of rest cure where these divisions could be made up um, to strength from from having been, you know, completely butchered in the Ludendorff spring offences up until that point. So the British Ninth uh, Corps moved down. These divisions are are expecting to recuperate. Um, two things: were were they expecting an attack? And if so, what preparations had they made uh, to counter a possible German offensive? This is one of the great um, surprise attacks of the First World War. So they weren't really expecting an attack at all. They were expected to rest, recuperate, come back to... Um, there wasn't really that many preparations had been made. So it, it was a French area. Many of the trenches were overgrown, neglected. There was an attempt to try and repair the defensive area, but they didn't really expect that this was an area where the Germans would attack in the spring of 1918 at all, until... Um, until 
24 hours really before the attack commenced on the 27th of May, did they have any inkling that the Germans were going to attack in this kind of area. So what actually happened on the day when the Germans attacked? I'll just say that Sidney Rogerson, whose book, um, The Last of the Ebb, says this about the Battle of the Aisne. It was something different. Just as it was more immediately successful from the enemy's point of view, and more disastrous from the point of view of the French or the British. At no other time was the British Army Corps so nearly annihilated, as was the Ninth Corps, between the Aisne and the Marne in May 1918. Fighting under French command, inadequately supported by artillery, and practically without help from the air, the four tied divisions were forced to fight and run, fight and walk, 27 miles in four days, across wooded downlands and three fair rivers in brilliant summer weather and subsisting on a mixture of hard emergency rations and the good wine of champagne. It was an astonishing battle in a novel setting and it contained many notable feats of arms. It should therefore be better known. And despite all this, still today isn't really that known, given that this is also the centenary year of the battle itself. The attack itself was mainly carried out by the German master artillery tactician, Colonel Bruckmuller. What happened was he realized that if you try to destroy the area that you're going to advance over, um, you won't get very far. So this was actually his kind of great suppressive artillery performance of uh, 1918. If you think about the Somme battle, there was a week-long bombardment before the attack at zero hour on the 1st of July 1916, uh, when there were over 2 million shells uh, fired. Here, the Germans fired roughly the same number of shells in two hours, 45 minutes. And this was the shortest but the most concentrated attack of uh, 1918 by the Germans. It was an astonishing artillery bombardment. Most of the combatants who, who suffered this attack all said it was the most uh, phenomenal experience they'd been through. And a lot of them had been through the Somme, they'd been through uh, Passchendaele. Uh, the other thing about the attack is 50% of the artillery shells that we used were gas. Hence, they tried to suppress the infantry units. The 50th Division, which were near the kind of epicenter of this attack, near the village of Kroll on the uh, Shamandadam highest point, which is known as the Caniforning Plateau, were deluged with gas on the morning of the 27th of May. Uh, thousands of men from this division simply were arrested by the German stormtroopers who came across in the early morning on the 27th of May. Uh, there was some isolated fighting, but these, these isolated attack, uh, sorry, these isolated defences tended to be further to the south and were mainly the reserve divisions moving up towards where the German infantry had come over. They were caught in the open, and even those uh, units were devastated in this opening offensive. So it was one of the great uh, one-day offensives of the First World War. In fact, by the end of the day, the German infantry were across the Aisne River and had advanced somewhere in the region of 13 miles. The 8th Division, the 21st Division, and the 50th Division were, in effect, annihilated. There was somewhere in the region of 20,000 prisoners of war taken. There were a number of men who were killed, but the vast majority were either injured, suffering from the effects of gas, or taken prisoner. So what were the rough numbers of casualties that Ninth Corps suffered during the attack? Uh, I would think there was somewhere in the region of probably about 35,000 men between the 27th of May and the 1st of June. The vast majority were taken prisoner uh, on the 27th of May, and 
most of the casualties that occurred were on the opening day of the offensive. After the, the 27th of May, it became more of a kind of open or soldiers battle. And the British units then intermingled with the French and retreated steadily during the course of that week towards the Marne River, where the offensive effectively pitched out round about the 1st to 2nd of June. Now, your book's very much a battlefield guide. What areas would you suggest people go and visit um, on the AIM? What I would suggest is that most people who come to the area, and I would advise them to, to take a tour, really, along the Dam Ridge from um, starting perhaps in Soissons and ending towards Reims. Some of the sites which I would recommend would be one of the most beautiful cemeteries on the Western Front, which is uh, Vendressa Cemetery, which has casualties from both 1914, because the British were there, in September 1914, and also from the May battle as well. It's hidden away just south of the Shimanda Dam Ridge. Once you move further to the west of uh, Vendretta, you come to Cerne in Lenoir. There is a big German and French, and also a French cemetery there as well. I mean, most of the Shimanda Dam Ridge commemorates the Nivelle Offensive. Uh, there's also a statue of Napoleon, because Napoleon fought one of his last battles in 1814 um, on the Shimanda Dam Ridge. Uh, moving uh, further to the, to the east of the battlefield, you come to the precipitous California Plateau. In my book, I would recommend that you pause here. There is a walk around the California Plateau. There's still some disused trenches uh, in that area. There's also um, a, quite a large wooded platform now. And if you stand on the top, you get excellent views of the Shimanda Dam countryside and, it's, and views as far south as Reims itself. It's worth exploring that particular area uh, near the, um, the village of Croc, which has many trenches still preserved. And the other area I would, I would strongly recommend is further towards the Aisne River itself, which is the Bois de Butte. Uh, there's a famous stone cross to the stand made by the Second Devons at Le Vure Bois, which is just north of Le, uh, the Bois de Butte. Uh, the Bois de Butte was also famous for the stand made by the 5th um, Gibraltar Royal Field Artillery Battery. Again, my book on the AIM offers a guide to the Bois de Butte area. Uh, I'd be wary of going into the Bois de Butte itself, particularly at certain times of the year when the French seem to be in there uh, carrying out localised shooting. But it's worth having a look in that area if at all possible. There are a lot of disused trenches, bunkers. There used to be an art, uh, there used to be a light railway which went into the the Bois de Butte, so it was quite extensively a fortified area, and it's worth having a look around that area. I would also suggest walking from there, if possible, to the Villebois Military Cemetery, uh, which is along the um, the auto route between Law and Reims. There are a large number of men who are unknowns in that cemetery, one of the greatest concentrations apparently on the Western Front, but also some notable men who played a role in the events of the Aisne Battle. Uh, again, my guide uh, talks about the Villa Bois, who you can see in the, some of the stories relating to the events around uh, the Villa Bois and the Bois de Butte. So it's definitely worth spending some time in that particular part of um, the Aisne Battlefield. Finally, David, where is your book available from? All good publishers, I would guess. Waterstones, Amazon, eBay, just, you know, generally good booksellers on, on the internet. David, thank you very much for your time. And you know. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. 
Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>